Uh, what got you there with got you got you? What got you there with Shonda Laney? 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 What's going on? What got you there? Thanks for tuning in for another episode. We have one of the most badass Americans on the planet right now, Tim Kennedy. Tim is an active ranger, Green Beret, Special Forces sniper with tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, other locations across the globe. He's also a mixed martial artist who currently competes in the UFC middleweight division. Tim, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Tim, you are one of the most interesting guys I've ever come across, one of the most motivated, hard-driven, stamina-type guys. I mean, where does that all start for you? I'm just stupid, mostly. <laughs> um, I'm too dumb to know when to stop, so that, uh, that ends up being a, a reoccurring theme in my life. Um, where I just uh, kind of drive on, and I don't know, maybe I would, if I was smarter, I would have been like a golfer or something. <laughs> Instead, I just chose a bunch of occupations that involve physical violence and pain. You certainly do that, that's for sure. So, Tim, what are you doing each day to start your day? I, I've seen some of the workouts you do in the morning and things like that, and it's just mind-boggling what you put yourself through on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, my my uh, my schedule. These days is very regimented that would, I think, be kind of similar to any warrior culture. You know, I get up early, um, have a really healthy breakfast, uh, hang out with the family for a second. And uh, once they kind of get on their way to their uh, respective activities, I go and do strength and conditioning. And then from strength and conditioning, I immediately eat. And then from there, I go and do a technical um, training session, which sometimes uh, three days a week is shooting, um, pistol, long gun, and then a whole bunch of weird things, barricade shooting, vehicle shooting, uh, concealed carry shooting, um, alternate position shooting, and anyways. So those are like my three shooting days a week. Then head home hang out with family for a little bit, work for a few hours. And, uh, and then I go and I train again that evening. And that is my typical day. All right. That's fantastic. I definitely want to jump more into the sheepdog a little bit later. So interested in hearing more about the gun side of things, but just wanted to hit on your diet a little bit. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you're training two to three times a day on most days. So what are you refueling with? I'm not like a gluten-free guy, um, but I eat very little of it. Um, I'm not like a straight edge, no caffeine, no alcohol, um, but I have very little of those. I never have fast food. I never have fried food. Um, I eat clean. I eat like I, th- I think we're supposed to. I eat, I think, um, you know, I, in, in the morning, this morning, for instance, I had two eggs and an egg white. I had uh, some oatmeal with some fresh fruit and a cup of coffee. Um, that was my breakfast. And then for lunch post-workout, I had two chicken sandwiches, jalapeno with some kale coleslaw and um, an iced tea. Uh, dinner tonight is going to be grilled salmon. Tomorrow, a similar breakfast, probably um, eggs and raisin toast. And, uh, you know, so it's not, it's not like I'm breaking the mold or recreating the wheel. This is very straightforward. The only difference is that I'm actually disciplined in, in what I eat. You know, I, I think diet is a major, 
component that most people leave out. They're like, oh, I'm doing the work. I can eat whatever. That's not how it works. Um, one, your work is going to be diminished by what you're eating. And then what you're eating, regardless of what your work is, um, is, is going to dictate what your volume of total work capacity is going to be later. I got you. Have you always had those philosophies or as you gotten older, have you concentrated more on diet? No, I mean, I've, I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, my dad was an athlete, you know, so this is, uh, my brother, what my big brother was an athlete. My little sister was an athlete. Um, you know, I think we've known what, what healthy is. And, you know, we, even as kids, we mostly ate really healthy, but there's, we'd, we'd have opportunities to cheat. Like when we went to grandma's house, but you know, I think more often than not, this, this has been my my uh, approach to to diet. I got you. So you mentioned your dad. I've heard some uh, just some great stories about your childhood, and we'd like to dive deep into that. So just take me back to the young Tim Kennedy. What were you doing? What what were the philosophies your dad was teaching you, and what was he doing with you at a young age to kind of turn you into the man you are? So I don't think my my dad was really trying to sculpt or construct. Um, what my brother and I are, he was just living, you know, he was, um, he is just an amazing man. Um, he was hardworking. He was well-educated. Um, he was focused. He was driven. He knew what right and what wrong was. And given the opportunity to, to, to make the decisions, you know, like the hard right or the easy wrong, he always chose the hard right. You know, he worked long days. Um, he went and found bad guys. You know, if there's something that happened that was wrong in front of us, he fixed it. Uh, you know, if it's, we're in the mall and, you know, we, for example, I, man, I was probably five, six years old. It's one of my earlier memories. Um, I remember hearing this woman scream and um, this woman was being beaten by her boyfriend or husband, just this asshole. And, uh, you know, we were getting in the car at the mall. Um, this is when malls still existed. So, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I remember my dad just like making sure his, you know, his, his gun was on his hip like it's supposed to be. Then he made sure that my wife and his three kids were going to be in the car um, like we were. And um, he's like, I'll, I'll be right back. If I'm not back in this amount of time, just drive to the police station. And, uh, and he walked over, you know, and explained to this dude in no uncertain terms, that that's not cool. And then he's under arrest. And, uh, and that's just that simple. You know, like this is right and this is wrong. Um, there's, no, there's nothing in between there. And, uh, you know, if you, if you choose, if you choose poorly, you know, if you're Indiana Jones and you grab the wrong trail, um, you know, there's consequences for that. And, uh, that was, that was a picture that was painted very clearly at a very early age. That was an ongoing theme throughout the rest of my life. Are those things you continue now that you're a father? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't uh, imagine not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm walking around looking for an opportunity to, to demonstrate what right and wrong is. Um, but there's not a chance in hell that I'm going to sit back and let something bad happen and let my kids see that bad thing happen without their dad doing something about it. Yeah. With so many people today, just taking such a laid back approach, it's just refreshing. Great hearing that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned this story, were there any other just defining moments of difficult things that you went through personally in your youth that kind of shaped you? Or was it that constant reinforcement of your dad just kind of doing what men should do? I mean, I, I could give you a hundred stories. You know, I could give you 
um, when I was in high school and I got in a fight in the riverbed with like, you know, I was a wrestler and, um, we didn't get along. The athletes didn't get along with like the BMX motocross guys. Cause I was in kind of rural California. Um, so you kind of had the hick and the cowboys and they had the athletes, you know, like the typical cliques of a high school. And, um, you know, I got in a fight and came home and, and you know, and, and listening to my dad being like, you know, consider the source and consider the, the people that, you know, you don't like them, you don't respect them, you don't appreciate them. So then why do they deserve your blood? Why do they deserve, you know, you diminishing and devaluing what and who you are? to lower yourself to their level. Why, why even do that? You know, like those conversations as, as a young man, you know, were, were very, very shaping. And then now as kind of a celebrity online where people can throw these accusations at me and can say really ugly things, hey, you're a baby killer. You know, like I hate everything about you. And you go over there and, and torture women and children. Um, you're the worst fighter I've ever seen. I'm so glad you got knocked out in your last fight. You know, like all those things. Um, I just hear these, my dad's words echoing, you know, like, consider the source. And I don't, I don't even need to dignify those questions with a response because they don't deserve it. And especially in, in, a, in an era where we have, lit- like, literally, we have trolls. Like, we actually made a word for people that go and try to elicit negative responses from people. Um, you know, it's even more true than ever. You know, my dad's words, again, echoing and resounding. Uh, transcending time and saying this is this this is how the, a man responds to those type of moments, and just hearing all these stories of the impact your dad had. I mean, it's just refreshing to hear based on the kind of similar thing with my father and how there's so many things today that I kind of relate back to my childhood and things he taught me. But uh, moving forward, take me back to September 11th, 2001. I, I need to hear what was going through your mind at that time. Um, uh, self-centered little prick. Um, September 10th, I was uh, probably worrying about what jeans I was going to wear and what girl I was going to hook up with. Um, if I was going to be able to get into a party, if, uh, I don't know, a whole bunch of other really stupid things that a 22 year old would think about. And, uh, man, I think that next day, going to work, I worked for a dot-com in Commerce in California, kind of before the bubble burst. And um, I'd go in early to answer customer service emails from the East Coast. So, you know, like 9 o'clock over there is 6 a.m. in uh, California. So I'd go in at 6. So I, was, uh, I, had, I would open up, I had a couple of computers, and I'd, I'd open one up, and I'd have, um, you know, CNN or some news kind of live streaming. Um, on one desktop, and it was right when that was first starting. And um, you know, I, I was I watched live that second plane slam into that building. Um, you know, my dad was calling me, my mom was calling me, uh, seeing so like, are you are you where are you? What's going on? Are you seeing what's happening? And as you know, as another plane goes down, and then another plane goes down, and uh, you know, it's like I'm fine. I'm at, I'm at work. You know, like in Central California, there's nothing happening here. And by noon, I was standing in front of uh, the recruiting office in San Luis Obispo, California, with about 3,000 other people trying to figure out the quick and best way to go find these bastards that would do this. So I want to know the mindset. So say September 11th doesn't happen. 
what's the path of Tim Kennedy? Where do you go from working with your dot com? I mean, it seems like you're the type of person who needed to find something with more action, more adventure. I probably would have died of age in five years. <laughs> and why would that have been? So I'm a professional mixed martial artist, ranked in the top 10, you know, college athlete, um, graduate school honor everything um self-centered narcissistic ethnocentric prick um making every bad decision that you possibly could you know i don't i don't uh i don't think there could have been a not a way out but i don't think i would have made the right decisions to find that way out i think uh looking back having that moment of something needed to change um, I don't know what that moment would have been had those planes not slammed into that building. So it was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And it's going deep on that right there. So I, I appreciate the mindset, thought, and everything that just went into that. And then also, I mean, just have to thank you for, for serving our country and continuing to do that today. I mean, what was your mindset like? You, you enlist, um, you basically are getting right in the action. What's your mindset like then? Well, no, I mean, so I went in special forces and, um, it takes a long time to get to special forces when you enlist. So, you know, I, uh, I was, I was doing the work, you know, I was trying to find the, um, the easiest way to not get kicked out of, um, us army special forces. I was trying to find the, the best way to, to actually graduate. And, um, you know, we, uh, it's a very competitive, rigorous selection process that is unforgiving, especially to the unprepared and the guys that aren't a former military. So I, I was really just trying to um, not drown. I was trying to keep my head afloat. I mean, I almost find that tough just with your fighting background, your mentality. I mean, was it truly that difficult? You really were just trying to keep your head afloat? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, you know, being a collegiate athlete, being um, college graduate, level educated, that doesn't help you when you're having to eat a rotten raccoon and then get pissed on by your instructor before you go do a 40-mile hike uh, with 40 pounds on your back after you've jumped out of an airplane. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? like th- 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 <laughs> Those things don't help. They're not mutually exclusive, but there's, there's, there's nothing there that's going to benefit uh, or assist me in uh, in hopefully getting selected, um, or or completing or complete the training once you were selected. This is um, you know the the most elite fighting force on the planet. You know, a fighting force that you can drop into a country. They will raise an army and reshape the political climate, and then be able to educate the new leaders in how to run their own country. That's what special forces does. I'm not sure if you, you know that. Like we're we're not door kicking, knuckle dragging, um, apes. You know we 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 you know they, they call us the warrior poets. You know we're we're the quiet professionals. We are um, the liberators of the oppressed. You know the oppressed libera. That's our motto. Um, this is not any other fighting force on the planet can do what the U.S. Army Green Berets do. Yeah, that just speaks volume to the, the character of your men and just the training you guys have gone through. So Tim, kind of transitioning on, I, I wanted to know more. Um, 
about what you're doing right now with Sheepdog. If you could kind of tell my listeners a little bit about that and then ways that they can incorporate that into their everyday lives. Uh, one, one of the companies I own is called Sheepdog Response. Um, Google it or go on Facebook or YouTube and watch videos. It's um, the, the term Sheepdog was co- coined by General uh, Colonel Grossman. And um, he, he has this parable of there's three types of, of beings of creatures. There are the sheep. There's nothing wrong with being a sheep. You're happy. You're walking around. You're eating grass. You're making little sheep and you're sleeping. You know, you're just living your life. Um, it's nice. It's good to be a sheep. And then uh, it's like, so it's not a derogatory term. It's totally fine. And then there's the wolves. The wolves essentially are evil. You know, they walk around and they try to prey on the sheep that are just trying to exist. And then lastly is the sheep dog. It is, um, it genetically has more in common with the wolf than it does the sheep. You know, it has canines. It's supposed to eat meat. It, um, it knows how to hunt. It knows how to crouch and crawl. Uh, but the difference is that it actually cares and values the sheep and it wants to protect it. It has a natural instinct to want to protect it. Um, and you take that and you apply it to different types of people. And we kind of really do fall into those different segments. You know, there, there are, um, those that commit crimes and those that take advantage of other people that, you know, rape and armed robbers and terrorists and human traffickers and drug smugglers. And, you know, just the, the list goes on. Um, and then there's everybody else just trying to live their life. And then there's those that are standing there that won't let, you know, for evil to triumph, it takes good men to stand back and to do nothing. So what Sheepdog Response does is we try to encourage and train those traits, those characteristics um, in, into the everyday citizen and those that do it occupationally and professionally. So we train a lot of military. We train a lot of law enforcement. We train a lot of first responders. Um, and then we do a lot of training for schools and the Red Cross and um, even moms and dads, you know, that want to know how to better protect their their family. Um, just the everyday person, you know, can have that same desire and want to to protect the things that are valuable to them. Uh, so we, we have a nonprofit, a 501c3 called the Sheepdog Survival Fund. And the mission of uh, the Survival Fund is to help train and equip military law enforcement and first responders uh, to give them the things that they need to do their job, to survive and to save lives. So we, um, we're passionate about this idea. This is my entire adult life. I, I have been a sheepdog. You know, I've occupationally and professionally from my first real job was a firefighter. Uh, second real job was as an EMT on an ambulance, you know, and the third one after the police academy was um, going and, and being a police officer. And then I wanted to go and work for the FBI. So, you know, going back to school and then going and joining U.S. Army Special Forces. So this is, uh, you know, this has been obviously the very clear trajectory of my life. And now having done it for 15, 20 years, it's um, the things that I've learned. I'm trying to better prepare people to um, not make the same mistakes and hopefully equip and prepare them for those right moments. No, I got you. So me being just the everyday citizen, young family, what would be some things I'd learn if I was enrolled in one of the sheepdog classes? 
uh, the first thing you'd learn is uh, you'd learn about yourself. You'd, uh, you know, we have these four A's uh, that we kind of circle around. The first one is awareness. You're going to be aware of your own assets and your own liabilities. You're going to become intimately familiar with your own capabilities. You're going to find out um, how long you can run flat out before you get tired. You're going to learn that when your heart rate is jacked like that, you can't shoot accurately. You're going to learn that when you're trying to fight for something that you want to keep, like a gun or a knife or trying to protect one of your kids, that you're going to only be able to last about 15 seconds before you have a majorly diminished capacity to make good decisions. So you're going to learn about yourself. Um, You're going to learn about not only your liabilities, but you're also going to learn about your assets. You're going to learn about um, how well you shoot, how strong you are, how situationally aware you are. You're going to understand the atmospherics and biometrics of the, of, of the environment that we live in. Um, you know, so the first thing you're going to learn is about yourself. And then you're going to start learning tools. We're going to start giving you things to fold up and tick tuck in your pocket. Hopefully you'll never need them. Um, you know, these are how to keep a gun when somebody wants to take it. Uh, when you should draw, if you should draw. We're going to teach you about um, edged weapons. We're going to show you the fundamentals of marksmanship from you know stance, grip control, sight picture, sight alignment, breath control, trigger squeeze, follow through, all the things that make somebody be able to accurately engage a target, we're going to show you. Um, we're going to put external stress on you and then try to make you do those things that we just taught you. Um, you know, We're going to try to keep show you how to keep the blood in the good guys and let the blood out of the bad guys. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. What do you think is one of the just the biggest things facing just an everyday citizen right now? Just a danger element that they should be aware of that most people just aren't aware of? Apathy. Indifference. Um, you know, I, th- I think society as a whole um, doesn't care. They uh, they would rather just complain or protest or bitch um, than actually do something. You know, uh, I think that honestly, <laughs> I think the epidemic of our diets of, of of obesity in this nation, you know, it's straight just straight up comes down to laziness. We have become a culture of fast food. Not literally, we just look for the easiest, quickest solution to everything, and unfortunately, anything of value can't be achieved easily and quickly um, to include all of these things. You know, these aren't skills that you get overnight. You know, you don't get a six pack overnight. You don't build a company worth millions overnight. You know, you, uh, it takes time, effort, dedication, and hard work. And uh, so um, you say, what is the thing that's most dangerous? It's laziness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you nail it. It's, it's an absolute epidemic. So great hearing you say that. So, I mean, you're someone who's just constantly challenging themselves. So what do you think is just the most difficult thing you do each day? Um, not skull stomp millennials. <laughs> I mean, must be pretty tough for you, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of joking. No, I know, but no. <laughs> I see exactly where you're coming from. I mean, it, being a millennial myself, it's tough not 100% agreeing with you. And like you mentioned, that epidemic of laziness and just different things they're being involved with, which 
mind-boggling at times and tough to be associated with. Yeah. It's like, no, bro, you can really just do your job without me having a refrigerator full <laughs> of um, some stupid new beverage that's in a glass bottle um, or a boutique cup of coffee. You know, like, just go to your desk and work. <laughs> you know, like, that's all I'm asking you is show up on time, work for eight hours, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <sighs> Frustrating, that's for sure. So I've got a question. What's an idea you've had that you've changed over the past year? Basically, you've learned something new or just saw a new way of doing something. What's something you've changed? Uh, my slide lock reload. Can you dive more into that? Yeah. Um, so when you shoot and your magazine, which is the thing that feeds bullets into your gun, runs out of bullets, um, there's a little thing called the follower, which pushes up and assists in a slide lock. So the thing that moves forward and back that ejects and chambers rounds into the gun locks in the rear position. So you have to drop the magazine and put a new magazine in and then pull back or hit the slide release to then put your weapon into battery, putting the slide forward and chambering around. Um, There's a lot of different ways to do it. There's an overhand, there's a slingshot, there's hitting the slide lock. Um, I have been an over the overhand or slingshot. slide lock reloader almost my whole entire life and uh, just in the past couple of months i have i had my friend alex acosta who i shoot with show me a different way um, where you're coming over essentially at the front of the slide at your front sight post your hand is never leaving the pistol and it is pushing back with down pressure and then coming back to that solid support hand grip and uh and then going right back to work. And it shaved, uh, it shaved almost a half a second now from my slide lock reload. A half a second is a massive amount of time in a gunfight. Um, that's like eternity. So uh, that was a major improvement. And that just happened this year, even though I've been a shooter for probably 30 years. Wow. You mentioned Alex Acosta. Who are some other guys or coaches or friends that kind of taught you a few things along the way that just really resonate with you and just come to the forefront of your mind? Um, One of my striking coaches here, Jason Webster, uh, he showed me how to change tempo. Sounds really simple, right? Um, But it is being able to, it's not that simple. Like if you look at music, you know, you have like this rhythmic occurrence of notes in a specific key. Um, What he showed and taught me how to do was be able to take and be playing at one speed, and then in just the very next bar, immediately switch to a different speed, and then go yet to another speed that might be in a different key. Um, and when you're doing that in violence, it's a very, very scary thing because it creates an amount, uh, a degree of uh, not being able to anticipate what's coming next. It's like fighting chaos and anarchy. It's a very scary thing. Um. So Jason's awesome. Uh, Greg Jackson, he, uh, he's a coach in Albuquerque, New Mexico, probably the most winningest coach in the history, history of mixed martial arts. Um, he, he's, he's a philosopher. He's, um, he, he has studied the art of violence going back thousands of years, as far back as you can go, as people were putting pen to paper. And, um, you know, he's a, per, he's a, forever student of the art of violence and uh, he has taught me how to be patient 
and how to look for solutions and not problems. Look for that best, quickest, easiest way to achieve something with the least amount of resistance. Uh, I'm a guy that sometimes I just choose the hard way because it's the hard way. And I think that the hard way is usually the right way. But sometimes there's, um, there are smarter ways to go about things. And uh, Greg has taught me that. Um, Mike Winklejohn, he showed me how to throw a really nasty overhand right with a cheat skip step. Um, Todd Moore and Jake Sneese, they from Atomic Athlete, they've taught me how to um, not be a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's they're 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 my friends, they're my colleagues, um, you know, and, and also coaches. No, that's great. Just so surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are going to challenge you and help you grow. It sounds like it's something you constantly are doing, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, you are who you surround yourself with. And, um, and my tribe is a bunch of badasses that can kill anybody else's tribe. I love that. I mean, just, just seeing some of the videos you've posted and comments you've made, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think my listeners will just love hearing that. Um, so I definitely want to be respectful of your time, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on your service for this country. Uh, where can my listeners stay connected with you and find out more about you? Uh, I'm pretty much on everything, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and it's Tim Kennedy MMA. It's uh, not hard to find. Uh, I think I'm verified in everything. And uh, just look for a guy that's doing something that will permanently damage his body if he does it wrong. <laughs> and that's, that, that is probably the right account. That is you. We'll make sure we get it linked up in the show notes as well. But Tim, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and um, at your disposal anytime. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.